Section 51 of Letters to His Children by Theodore Roosevelt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida. Quinton's Exquisite Jest. White House, January 2, 1908. Dear Archie, Friday night. Quinton had three friends, including the little Taft boy, to spend the night with him. They passed an evening and night of delirious rapture, it being a continuous rough house, save when they would fall asleep for an hour or two, from sheer exhaustion. I interfered but once, and that was to stop an exquisite jest of Quinton's, which consisted in procuring sulfurated hydrogen to be used on the other boys when they got into bed. They played hard, and it made me realize how old I had grown, and how very busy I had been these last few years, to find that they had grown so, that I was not needed in the play. Do you recollect how we all of us used to play hide-and-go-seek in the White House, and have obstacle races down the hall, when you brought in your friends? Mother continues much attached to Scamp, who is certainly a cunning little dog. He is very affectionate but so exceedingly busy when we are out on the grounds that we only catch glimpses of him zigzagging at full speed from one end of the place to the other the kitchen cat and he have strained relations but have not yet come to open hostility white house january twenty seventh nineteen o eight dear archie scamp is really a cunning little dog but he takes such an extremely keen interest in hunting, and is so active, that when he is out on the grounds with us, we merely catch glimpses of him as he flashes by. The other night, after the judicial reception, when we went upstairs to supper, the kitchen cat suddenly appeared parading down the hall, with great friendliness, and was forthwith exiled to her proper home again. Tom Pinch White House February 23, 1908 Dearest Kermit, I quite agree with you about Tom Pinch. He is a despicable kind of character, just the kind of character Dickens liked, because he had himself a thick streak of maudlin sentimentality, of the kind that, as somebody phrased it, made him wallow naked in the pathetic. It always interests me about Dickens to think how much first-class work he did, and how almost all of it was mixed up with every kind of cheap, second-rate matter. I am very fond of him. There are innumerable characters that he has created, which symbolize vices, virtues, follies, and the like, almost as well as the characters in Bunyan. And therefore I think the wise thing to do is simply to skip the bosh and twaddle and vulgarity and untruth, and get the benefit out of the rest. Of course, one fundamental difference between Thackeray and Dickens is that Thackeray was a gentleman, and Dickens was not. But a man might do some mighty good work, and not be a gentleman in any sense. Martin Chuzzlewit, White House, February 29, 1908 Dearest Kermit, Of course, I entirely agree with you about Martin Chuzzlewit, but the point seems to me that the preposterous perversion of truth and the ill-nature and malice of the book are of consequence chiefly 
as indicating Dickens' own character, about which I care not a rap, whereas the characters in American shortcomings and vices and follies, as typified are immortal, and moreover, can be studied with great profit by all of us today. Dickens was an ill-natured, selfish cad and bore, who had no understanding of what the word gentleman meant, and no appreciation of hospitality or good treatment. He was utterly incapable of seeing the high purpose and the real greatness which, in spite of the presence also of much that was bad or vile, could have been visible all around him here in America, to any man whose vision was both keen and lofty. He could not see the qualities of the young men growing up here, though it was these qualities that enabled these men to conquer the West, and to fight to a finish the great Civil War. And though they were to produce leadership, like that of Lincoln, Lee, and Grant, naturally he would think there was no gentleman in New York, because by no possibility could he have recognized a gentleman if he had met one. Naturally he would condemn all America, because he had not the soul to see what America was really doing. But he was in his element in describing, with bitter truthfulness, Scatter and Jefferson Brick and Elijah Pogram and Hannibal Chollop and Mrs. Hominy and the various other characters, great and small, that have always made me enjoy Martin Chuzzlewit. Most of these characters we still have with us. Good Reading for Pacifists March 4, 1908 Dearest Kermit, you have recently been writing me about Dickens. Senator Lodge gave me the following first-class quotation from a piece by Dickens about proposals for amusing posterity. Quote, and I would suggest that if a body of gentlemen possessing their full phrenological share of the combative and antagonistic organs could only be induced to form themselves into a society for declaiming about peace, with a very considerable war-whoop against all non-declaimers, and if they could only be prevailed upon to sum up eloquently the many unspeakable miseries and horrors of war, and to present them to their own country as a conclusive reason for its being undefended against war, and becoming a prey of the first despot who might choose to inflict those miseries and horrors. Why, then, I really believe we should have got to the very best joke we could hope to have in our whole complete jest-book for posterity, and might fold our arms and rest convinced that we had done enough for that discerning patriarch's amusement. End quote. This ought to be read before all the tomfool peace societies and anti-imperialist societies of the present day. End of section 51